0: It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello, and welcome to the World Series edition. Of the Twin Bills podcast that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it, Bill? It certainly does. <laughs> I'm Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal, and with me in uh, downtown Providence is a travel weary. Um, Red Sox writer Bill Koch. Uh, Bill, how, how you feeling these days?
1: Feeling okay. Uh, you, know, you know that there's only seven games left of the seven most important games of the year. If if you can't get up for the World Series, then you're probably in the wrong industry. Right, right. And it may not be seven games. Could be, may not. Could be four. Could be five. Uh,
0: so uh, since we last spoke, um, a lot has happened uh the uh, The biggest thing that 's happened is the Red Sox dispatched the Houston Astros in a mere five games, winning the series four to one wow
1: wow is right it <laughs> It was a surprise to me too yeah uh
0: so let's uh uh talk about that a little bit and then obviously talk about uh what's going to beginning uh be beginning at Fenway Park on Tuesday night, and that is the World Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers um but boy, that Houston series—I um, thought it was going to last a little longer. I thought the Houston Astros were going to figure out how to win because I think, as we looked at both teams, I think we both agreed that you know uh, the Astros probably seemed better, at least on paper, in just about all the categories. Not that the Red Sox were bad, obviously, but it didn't play out that way, um, and it was a convincing. Uh, series victory by the Red Sox, who are, uh, at this point, steamrolling through the playoffs.
1: Yeah, they they kind of did everything right, whether it was getting good starting pitching at the right time, having some key performances out of the bullpen, and getting contributions up and down the lineup. And really, you know, I say that, and I start thinking to myself, this is what they've done all season. They're just doing it now in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's even more impressive when you consider the caliber of opponent uh, the pressure of the moment, um, the fact that they've able they've been able to go five and zero on the road in Yankee Stadium and in Minute Maid Park. Yeah, it uh, been it's very impressive. Absolutely
0: impressive. Uh, so let's let's touch on a few of the highlights from the Astros here. First of all, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, only had uh, I think three hits in that series, but they were three big ones: uh, a grand slam, a two run home run. Uh, A double, I want to say, early in the series. Uh, What did you make of uh, JBJ's production? Uh, Was it a surprise to you? because it was uh, obviously game changing.
1: Uh, yeah, to get that sort of thunder out of the nine spot in the order isn't something that you would expect. Um, yeah, but like I said earlier, it, it's just one of those things where these guys have been able to contribute. Everyone who's been on the field for the Red Sox this season has giving them has given them something, from Mookie Betts all the way down to someone like Tony Renda, you know, who played right. in one game and right. scored a run that beat the Yankees. Right. Or uh, Brandon Phillips, you know, I mean that's yeah. it's it's just. And that's how you win the way that they've won. Mm. Um, you look back on it now, they've won 115 games this year. If they win the World Series, they're going to have won 119 games, which is phenomenal to say the least. Um, you know, I think back to, to some of those dynasty Yankee teams. Uh, you know, there was one year in there in the 90s where they won 125 games yeah. and won the World Series. And yeah. you just think about the, the magnitude of that number. Um, the fact that you're able to do that to fellow professionals over six or seven month period, it, it, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, and in Bradley's case, uh, a guy who a lot of people had buried mid season, you know, wanted him gone, wanted him out of the lineup, yep. uh, wanted Alex Cora to quit on him. Uh, You know, was hitting 178 in the middle of June. Yeah, I'm raising my hand because I was among that
0: crowd early early in the season, and and and, you know, obviously, they they could have they kept him in there because they had so much production elsewhere. But in a normal on a normal team,
1: you know, somebody who was with that kind of. Production doesn't usually start. No, and and it made, you know it made total sense at the time. Now you know realistically, I didn't think that they had great alternatives. I, I did yeah. not want JD Martinez playing right field every night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that would have moved Mookie Betts over to center. I felt like. You know, just let Bradley go. He's playing good defense, and more importantly, you're winning. So he's not preventing you from winning games yet. Uh, so you let it you let it play out. And you know, credit to him the the way that he worked on his swing, the way that Alex Cora managed him. You know, sort of showed great patience and, and great faith, uh, and that was rewarded at the most critical time. Um, you know, he comes up in Game Three in a four to two game with Roberto Osuna leaking oil. Uh, and in my mind, one of the biggest swings of the series, he hits a grand slam the right field. And when you go up eight to two at that point, you realize you're going to take home field advantage back. Sure. And you know, I won't say that the next two games would have been a bonus if the Red Sox could have won them, but I know Cora stated goal to going down there was winning one game mm-hmm. and getting the series back to Fenway Park, and I think that might have given them a sort of freedom the next two nights to be able to do what they did
0: maybe they exhaled a little bit say okay we did what what skipper wanted us to do but boy um it it really was remarkable and and particularly in jackie bradley's case i mean he he's he's got a, a 371 obp here in the postseason uh and as you mentioned earlier before we started recording he's taking a lot of walks um, and you know when he hit that home run, that to me the first thing that flashed in my mind was uh, JD Drew from uh, from '07. You know? Oh wow, yeah. You know, now obviously Drew didn't have the uh, as bad a year, uh, but uh, you know there was certainly a lot of a lot of uh, negativity about JD Drew, and then he hits that big grand slam and helps turn around the uh, the ALCS. Uh, and in this case, Jackie Bradley, uh, you know, just put that game out of reach and ultimately helped uh, them them go on and, and win the series. And I guess the other star, if you want to uh, point to stars of the series, because they weren't the typical stars. Certainly not on offense. Uh, you know, uh, no. I mean, Mookie has been okay, but not great. And Martinez hasn't. You know, he hit that home run against uh, the Yankees and um, uh, also home run against and, Verlander. Home run against five, right? In yep. Verlander, right? And and I mean, he's he's got a you know. Three thirteen postseason average and four fifteen on base, so he's certainly uh, doing okay. But you know he doesn't. He's certainly certainly not as eye popping as JBJ. But the other star uh, was David Price in game in the game five win, six innings, no runs, nine Ks. Finally gets that. Uh, I had a friend of mine on. Uh, I think it was. Facebook, someone on social media saying something like, uh, that giant thud you heard was King Kong falling off of uh, David Price's back because Boy, he must have just slept great that night.
1: Yeah, it was you know it was really the perfect scenario for him to make a start. Honestly, um, you're up three games to one in the series. Yeah, he's on short rest, so not much is really expected of him. You know, you, the talk going into that with Alex Cora was maybe as few as twelve outs would have been acceptable. Hmm. He he would have liked David Price to get through four innings, five innings. Um, you know, just sort of save the rest of the bullpen so that they could take the next off day and, and then maybe go into Game Six and, and fight again. Mm-hmm. Um but the way he threw the ball against Houston, it just spoke to you know a sort of freedom that he had, I think, mentally, being in that spot up three games to one with no real expectations. Um the thing about Price, I, I think, and you could almost sense it the night before, he was in the clubhouse and he had his son, Xavier, with him. Yeah. Uh, and he spoke to the media for probably about 10 minutes. And you know, he's in one of the best moods that I've seen him in all year. And I think it's important to note with Price that the last two seasons, um, there were times where you know he sort of had the, the cone of silence around him. Right. You know, it, it was sort of got the vibe that he wasn't going to be very approachable and, and wasn't too happy to be there. Uh, this season, he's changed that. For the most part, I, I think he's been welcoming and you know uh, a little bit more outgoing. Um, you know, certainly had better interactions with media members this season. Uh, you know, and the best one was probably the other night. Uh, he just seemed very loose, very calm, very relaxed. And and I think with Price, the ability has never been in question. Right. Um, it, it's been the mental side that you've wondered about whether or not he could perform in a big playoff game in a big pressure spot like that. Uh, and for him to go out and put up the line that he did no walks and nine strikeouts no red sox starter had ever done that in a postseason game had never struck out as many as nine guys and walked out in a postseason start um and the stuff itself was fantastic you're talking about running up a fastball to 96 miles an hour he threw his second and third hardest pitches of the season on short rest uh after however many starts he made in the regular season and in the postseason, um, throwing change-ups down and away that are dipping under bats. You could
0: absolutely tell he had his, he had his command, and he had confidence in his command. He
1: was locked in. Yeah. That, that's what it looks like when great ability meets confidence. Mm. That's what it looked like for six innings.
0: Yeah, and it came at a great time, obviously, because I think it renewed uh, a lot of people's faith in in Price now that they're moving on to the World Series. Uh, well, you, and,
1: what you just hope is that this might unlock something hmm. for him, that, that he can go out against the Dodgers and have another good start, and he's not going to have the one and two-thirds innings ten batters that he had against the Yankees his right. first postseason start. Right. You're hoping that what he's done here is raised the floor so that even if he has a quote-unquote bad outing against the Dodgers, it's like five and a third yeah. where he gives up you know three earned runs or something like that.
0: What, what I'm hoping for, really, is that he can just go out and pitch and not worry about, oh, that, that old line that, you know, you, you haven't won in the
1: postseason.
0: Like, the, you know, just forget about all that now. I mean,
1: he, he alluded to that. You know. He said, I, I look forward to the fact that I'm not going to have to answer that question yeah, anymore. Yeah.
0: And good for him. I mean, he went out and, and threw a, a great, and that's really what he had to do, and he did it. And he did it. Um you know, and the other, uh, I guess, the other person I want to touch upon here before we uh, leave the Astros uh, to their winter golf mm. is uh, Craig uh, Craig Kimbrel, the closer, who uh, certainly had his struggles throughout this postseason. But I got to tell you, uh, on that closeout game, he looked damn good. He looked like the Craig Kimbrell from earlier this year. Now, now you have written, and uh, and others have that you know that maybe. Uh, they they found out what the problem was that maybe he was tipping some of his pitches. I don't know if that's true or not. I you know I guess maybe maybe that was the case. But he looked like a different guy on Friday night. He looked like the Craig Kimbrell we, we we're sort of used to seeing before the last six weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, some of the uh, video evidence would seem to support that that he might have been. In mm. fact, tipping his pitches. Uh, Alex Cora got a text message from a friend from Montreal, as he put it. Uh, Eric Gagne, yeah. his former Dodgers and Red Sox teammate. Right. That,
0: that would be the biggest save that Gagne ever contributed uh, to the yes, Red Sox right that, there, that's, if, that's, if that's true.
1: That, that's been the running joke the last <laughs> three or four days. Um, and, and it certainly is true yeah. in, in this case. Uh, apparently, Gagne was watching Game 4 and noticed you know, that Kimbrel might have been uh, different. Coming yeah. to the plate, whether it be with his fastball or with his breaking ball, his set
0: was a little different, his, or the way he was sort of coming, uh, uh, approaching the the, the plate with, with his pitch was a little different.
1: There was a, a good breakdown on a, on a Twitter page called Pitching Ninja, um, which if if folks are into. You know, just sort of like nasty stuff, whether it be a great cut fastball or a great curveball, or hitters looking really bad. Uh, you know, Pitching Ninja has has great breakdowns um, in gift form, and, and a lot of times you'll see you know sort of movement on pitches. And, and it's a guy by the name of Rob Friedman. He's an Atlanta-based pitching coach, and what he'll do is what they call overlays. He'll he'll overlay a fastball over a breaking ball, and you'll see the difference between how a pitch looks 30 feet out of the pitcher's hand and then what it does the last 30 feet uh, and it really does a good job of illustrating how difficult it is to hit major league pitching and in Kimbrel's case you could see the set position with the breaking ball his hands were a little tighter to his beard hmm. he had his hands up close to his face uh, and also on the fastball his head was picking up the target a little sooner than the breaking ball he was looking to the plate sooner Uh, so his fix for that going into game five was he put his hands down to the belt for every pitch Um, And apparently his head positioning was a little bit more consistent. And, you know, like Alex Cora said, he struck out two of the four guys he faced in Game 5. Didn't really look in any trouble at any point. Um, He walked the the guy, right? He had a walk. uh, And Tony Kemp flew out to to left center to end the game. But it was more like... The Craig Kimbrell, who finished a regular season holding opponents <coughs> scoreless in 13 out of his last 15 appearances, uh, it was much less like the Craig Kimbrell who you'd seen through his first four playoff outings. Mm,
0: mm, right, right. Uh, it's amazing how subtle those those changes are, those differences are, right? Because most, most people would look at that and say, oh, it looks the same to me, but it just shows you how well well-tuned... Those those batter's eyes are. They can pick up things like that. Oh, look the 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 glove is is two and a half inches away from his beard instead of you know one and a half inches away from his beard.
1: It, it never ceases to amaze me what these guys can pick up off a bench. Yeah. Uh, whether it be picking up signs or picking up tendencies or body language, um, and now with with the advent of video, the way it is, the fact that everything is digital and, and you can watch things literally between innings. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a in a room underneath the dugout, uh, there really are no secrets if. Sure. You know, if a runner is relaying signs or a pitcher is tipping, um, you're going to be found out very quickly. And as you know, Bill, these guys are so good; they only need a little advantage to get through.
0: Absolutely, yeah. The 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 difference between greatness and and goodness is is kind of razor thin at at that level. Uh, So. Moving on now to the World Series, which still seems crazy to say because I didn't think the Red Sox would get there this year, even though they won 108 games. But I just thought the Astros were were a better team. Uh, The World Series opens Tuesday night at Fenway Park against the uh, historic Los Angeles Dodgers. And, you know, I'm a World Series guy, Bill. You can ask my daughters uh, about, you know, just kind of the nerdy things that I like to spout about the world series you know i i was able to uh, i can't do it now <laughs> but last year i was able to give you every world series winner dating back to 1972 you know wow good for yeah, you yeah i mean most of them because i actually remembered the world series not because i i actually memorized the list but oh i like uh, this but good. but the world series to me is always just it's it's just a special kind of event it is you know it's not you know the super Bowl's great it's a great party uh but you know football as it as it Uh, as a sport, you know, you can't play a series or if you do, it would take a month, you know? Right. You know, to me, a World Series really does um, show that the who the better team is, you know, and there's so many things, there's so much drama that goes into it. Can a guy come back on short rest? And sometimes there are heroes that step up that, that you know, normally wouldn't be uh, great players during the regular season. So I'm just excited to to be able to watch this series, obviously rooting for the Red Sox to win, but uh, just rooting for a great World Series overall. So in this World Series uh, against the Dodgers, and we'll talk about the Dodgers in a minute here, there are some questions going in that, that I want to uh, pick your brain about. Sure. Uh, These are the things that have been in the news in the last couple of days. Uh, The first thing is the health of Chris Sale. Now, Alex Cora said Chris Sale will be his Game 1 starter Tuesday night in Boston uh, against the Dodgers. Uh, The last we heard of Chris Sale, he was uh, leaving the hospital after some kind of stomach ailment, joined the team a little late, joked that it was about, uh, you know, he had a belly button ring or something that was infected, which was a total joke. But uh, Now, I fully believe that Chris Sale is as healthy as he's going to be to make this start. I don't think they would rush him out there if he needed another couple of days. What's your take on it?
1: Well, first, if you believe that Chris Sale had an infected navel piercing, <laughs> then I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. You've been taken. Yeah. Uh, you know, And you could be taken by anyone um, you know, allow me to come and con you at your leisure right. if you wish. Right. Uh, you know, I'll send you an email from Nigeria asking me. Uh, oh, that was you? Know, that was me. Oh. oh. Uh, asking you to, to wire your bank account number to me uh, because I'm being held hostage right. and whatever else. That common email phishing scheme. You know, at first when you hear that, you
0: know, it it takes a minute or two to kind of figure out that he's joking. But at first when you hear it, my first reaction was, really? I didn't think. Because you think of somebody with a navel ring as maybe just like a different kind of dude, you know. It just doesn't strike you that Chris Sale would have a navel ring. I mean, I don't know. I've never seen his navel. I don't know. But
1: Chris Sale was sick. He had some kind of 24-hour bug. He checked himself into Mass General Hospital. And if you know anything about the guy and you've you've paid attention to him all season, you know how much he hates me. Missing games yeah. and hates missing starts and so you magnify that and multiply it because it's the postseason and he has to miss starts and and not only that but you know he wasn't great in game one right um so he didn't get another chance to go back out there uh you know he he for the last two months of the year when his workload was limited by the shoulder inflammation he looked like cage tiger in, mm. in the clubhouse like oh yeah he just wanted to be let out um, absolutely you know and so you 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 turn that to the postseason stage and you tell him that he can't pitch and it, it's that much worse, um, you know. So he's very much looking forward to to taking the ball in Game One. He you uh, he speaking about that Sunday and he said it's a dream. It's it's what we all dream about growing up playing baseball, you know, being able to pitch or, or play in the World Series. Um, you know he's probably about as healthy as he's going to be. Uh, he's had extended rest here. Um, he's had a chance to throw a couple bullpens, so you know, if, if there are anything, any you know, lingering mechanical issues that he might have, uh, particularly from the Yankee series where he couldn't find a slider uh, in his start, he might uh, have been able to, to iron those out a little bit. Um, you know, and I expect the full Chris Sale experience um, you know, in Game 1. Maybe not the guy who's thrown 98, 99 miles an hour in the middle of the season, but certainly a guy who can go out there and get some people out. I do too, and again,
0: you know, if they needed, if he needed another day or two, you know, I would say, well, why not just give it to him? And, you know, if he pitches Game Three, he could he could pitch Game Seven if you need him to. So I, I don't see the Red Sox rushing him out to the mound if, if they don't no. if they weren't confident. No, in him. no, no. Uh, the other question uh, that uh, I want to ask you about is who's going to pitch Game Two.
1: Yeah, uh, Alex core didn't commit to that uh, in his Sunday remarks. I, I wonder if he'll be a little bit more expansive here mm. today on Monday after we tape this. Um, you know, the interesting thing about that is you got to start looking at the weather a little bit, and, yeah. and you wonder if you want David Price to go out there and pitch in the cold. Uh, you know, as as we, you know, as he said earlier in the year, he he does have some circulatory problems where his hands and feet are, are susceptible to being, you know, a little cold right. in in uh, in the tough weather here in New England, and you know, you wonder if you'd rather have Nathan Evaldi start Game Two. Uh, he's pretty much on full rest uh you know his relief stint aside he, mm. he's had enough time off from his last starting game three against houston um whether or not you might want to have him start game two and have price start game three in warm sunny los angeles where it's going to be 80 degrees every day the red Sox are there
0: right and in boston for the next two nights we're looking at temperatures probably in the 40s or even maybe in the 30s yeah. uh, high 30s you know so yeah, yeah That that's sort of my take on it too you know um Why not uh, push price back to a a game out in uh, Los Angeles when you're not going to have to presumably not really going to have to deal with bad weather? Um, He's somebody who has obviously um, shown that he that he has a problem or could have a problem in in cold weather, Uh, and I think that's probably why Alex Cora hasn't definitively come out and said here's here's who's going to you know who's going to pitch. You know he's probably weighing the same things. <clears throat> you know, it might have to do with how they do in game one. You know, if they win the game, does that does he feel a little bit better about going with one guy over another versus if they lose the game? Uh, so we'll see. Um, he doesn't have to really have to commit until after game one, or when when do you have to name the next day starter?
1: Realistically, it's after game one at yeah. some point. Uh, you know, the other thing is Cora could be expecting a long grinding series, and maybe he wants Evaldi in game seven. Yeah, maybe maybe he's looking that far yeah. ahead. Uh, yeah. You know the the thing about managers and and baseball staffs is you get into this these series and you think about what Cora had to say on Sunday. Part of having an early workout was to let the players go. Let them enjoy their Sunday, probably watch some football, relax with their families a little right. bit. The other part is, the coaching staff stayed at Fenway Park and had meetings. right? It, meetings with their advanced scouts, meetings with their analytics teams, um, and they're going to do that again uh, on Monday. Um, these are going to be two of the longest days of the year hmm. for, for that coaching staff. For Cora, for Dana Lavangi, for Tim Hires, uh, for Andy Barquette, for Brian Bannister, those guys are going to be locked in a room with Dave Dombrowski and, and the analytics team uh, going over who they want on the 25-man roster, what lineups they should play, uh, how they should use the pitching staff. They'll be breaking down the Dodgers and, you know, the guys that they sort of want to target and the guys that they sort of want to stay away from in their lineup and, you know, the pitchers who they think that they can get to in certain matchups. So just the amount of preparation that goes into something like this – it's not as simple as Cora just saying, well, this guy's going to start game two and this guy's going to start game three because it's their turn. Right. Uh, it's a lot more thinking that goes into it. And the weather is certainly something that they're going to discuss. They leave no stone unturned.
0: Uh, you know, you mentioned Nathan Evaldi and we, we probably shouldn't... Uh uh, just ignore how well he's done here. Uh, you know, we were talking about some of the stars in Houston. Boy, he's been a fantastic postseason pitcher for them, giving them a, a uh, another weapon both as a starter and as a reliever. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, I remember when when they got him, I was thinking, you know, he'll be sort of a good fourth man, and maybe he'll be in the bullpen in the postseason. Who knows? But man, he's he's on the front lines, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I think that's what everyone saw for him, and I, I just wonder if the Red Sox have. You know, maybe given him a certain approach, or you know, maybe sort of allowed him to attack hitters in a, in a different way than he was in Tampa. I'm, mm. I'm not certain of that, and you know, he wouldn't say that because he he, he wouldn't want to disrespect the coaching staff in yeah. in Tampa in any way. Mm. Um, you know, but the way he threw the ball in Game Three certainly, and Steve Pierce's contribution in uh, Game absolutely. Three, yeah, uh, that was a great night for Dave Dombrowski, uh, yeah, because he made additions at the trade deadline that maybe weren't necessarily the most popular. Editions. Uh, you no, know, they weren't. The,
0: they weren't the. I think we used the word "stop the presses." They weren't the "stop the presses" editions for pe- sure.
1: People wanted Zach Britton. People wanted yeah. Ryan Presley. They wanted a bullpen arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Dombrowski got was a right-handed starting pitcher who theoretically could shift to the bullpen for the playoffs. Uh, and a, a first baseman who can hit left handed pitching, and, mm-hmm. and they identify that as a, a weakness. Um, the fact that Pierce has been so good with Mitch Moreland battling this hamstring injury has just been a bonus. And, you know, I just look at those two guys coming in, in particular in game three uh, against Houston. And when you make these trades at the deadline, you hope. You envision best case scenario that these guys can do something like yeah. that in October, and boy, did they come through! There.
0: Absolutely, you're right. It was a it was a good night and a good postseason so far, really, for Dave Dombrowski. Um, and I think uh, you know Alex Bregman's little trolling probably didn't hurt either. Although, Ivaldi was was took the high road. You know, I didn't see it. I didn't. You know, I, you know I really didn't pay attention to it. But you know. I still don't understand why professional athletes do that because, you know, I get that, you know, hey, these, these are young guys and sometimes they're having fun and stuff. But, you know, why give the opponent, you know, more incentive to want to beat you?
1: Well, here, here's what I wonder about. OK, the Red Sox are, are generally, you know, sort of placid group of guys. Yeah. There, there's not really anyone out there on front street sort of you know, making a big deal of themselves in the media or, or saying anything controversial. But they won a hundred eight games this year. Why do you want to poke the bear? Yeah. If right. if you're Aaron Judge and you want to walk out of Fenway Park with New York New York playing and yeah. if you're Alex Bregman and you want to troll Nathan Evaldi by, you know, posting on Instagram the back to back to back home runs that Houston hit off him in June. Right. Why do you want to do that? Yeah. You know, you you've already got their full attention. You you already have the attention of the best team in baseball during the regular season, by record anyway. Sure. Houston obviously had a better war and a better yeah. run differential, but why do you want to wake them up even more than than they already might be? Um, you know, the the old rule uh, there was a, a pitcher, um, you know, way back in the twenties and the thirties, and, and his name escapes me at this point, but he had a rule about facing Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. And he would brush back Babe Ruth, Hmm. had no problems doing that because he felt like Babe Ruth was just out there anyway. But his rule on Lou Gehrig was do not do it because he's one of the nicest guys in the league and you probably don't want to wake him up because (laughs) if you do, he's going to be impossible to get out. Right, right. You know, you don't want him not only locked in, but angry at the same time. And I just, I look at the Red Sox now and I'm thinking, you know, this kind of nice, placid, polite group of guys. Yeah. But they won 108 games. You don't do that by accident. So right. why do you want to poke them? Yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, it it,
0: it it just struck me as one of these things that I'm sure if Alex Bregman could go back in time and and do something differently, he probably would. But, um, you, you know, you're in the ALCS. You're in you're on the biggest stage at that point. You know, you've got their full attention. They've got your full attention. Go out and play baseball. You know. Uh, so anyway it was it was uh, as a Red Sox fan it was good to see that uh, you know Evaldi got his revenge the right way basically mm. just beating them uh, so the other question that I want to talk to you about before the World Series starts and this really won't take effect until the series shifts to sunny Los Angeles is uh, the whole uh, no DH in the National League and what that uh, does to the Red Sox lineup, and there has been some talk and some and some stories written about the possibility of shifting Mookie Betts to second base, so you can keep his bat, JBJ's bat, JD Martinez's bat, who obviously would be then playing in the outfield, and Benintendi's bat, all in the lineup. Uh,
1: so, what's your take on it? Well, this is the blessing and the curse of having a good DH. Uh, you have JD Martinez. You obviously want his bat in the order. I think back to 2004 when you had David Ortiz, who was pretty much your primary designated hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had him play first base in St. Louis. You put Kevin Millar on the bench. Um, in this case, though, you, you have J.D. Martinez, who is an outfielder by trade, uh, who would put the best defensive right fielder in the game on the bench, Mookie Betts. That's certainly not going to happen. So you wonder how you can fit Betts into the lineup and and the natural spot to put him at would be at second base he was drafted as an infielder uh, played in the infield you know in his minor league career uh, all the way up through Pawtucket actually before he converted to the outfield Mm -hmm. Um, is a guy who takes ground balls at second base pretty much every day in in batting practice. Uh, Now, he says it's to keep his hands quick. And if you think back to Game 4, the play he made at the start of the eighth inning on the Tony Kemp single down the line in right field, picked up the ball, turned, and without really looking at second base, made a real quick transfer and throw and gunned down Tony Kemp, who's a very
0: fast runner. And threw a perfect strike to second base. I mean, it had to be right where it was for them to get Kemp out.
1: And that's the type of play that if you have a runner at first and there's a ground ball hit to the second baseman's left, what does he do? Fields the ball on his glove side, pivots, and throws to second base without really looking. Right, You know, he just trusts where the bag is, where the shortstop's going to be, and he makes that play, and Mm -hmm. it either starts a double play or it gets a force out. That's just muscle memory for a guy like Mookie Betts, and, and he's done it all the way along. What you wonder is how he handles the plays around the bag. Right how he's going to turn double plays, um, you know how that's going to affect their bunt coverages because he hasn't done that in a long time. You get into the National League Park, it stands to reason that the pitcher will be sacrificing um, you know, or the guys at the bottom of the order will be bunting or trying to put runners in motion. Uh, so can you get him up to speed on the bunt coverages uh, when the Dodgers hit and run, uh, when you're turning double plays and you know, it's a ground ball to the left side of the infield and he's the guy who actually has to catch and make the throw and avoid the runner coming in? Um because that could expose him to, to injury potentially. Right. Right. Uh it's a small chance, but it is a chance and, and he's your leadoff guy and one of your best offensive players. Um so all those things are, are gonna come into consideration for Alex Cora. Um you know, the the realistic thing that they would do if this was a regular season game was they would play Martinez. They would move Betts to center field, and they would give you the Bradley or Benintendi a night off. Right. Um, that's not really an option in the World Series. So, more and more, I think about it, they really could do this. Mm. I, I really think that they might end up doing this.
0: Yeah, and and I think that they will, and and I hope that they do. And, I, and I'd be in favor of, of it for uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, Jackie Bradley has been your one of your hottest your hottest hitters. Um. And I would do what I could to keep his bat and his legs in in, in the lineup.
1: Well, and his glove. And his, oh, well, obviously and, his, and his glove. Obviously, yeah, that you goes need without that. saying.
0: Sure. Um, and uh, secondly, you you know, Mookie Betts is such a unique player. You know, it's not like you're asking somebody who really is unfamiliar with a position to to give it a shot. I mean, this is somebody, as you said, who has played. Second base, right up through his minor league career, through through Pawtucket. It, so it's not something that is so foreign to him, and and I would say, it, you know, try it. And if it looks like he's, you know, has a has trouble turning the double play, or then then you know, okay, then then you bench Bradley or you bench Benintel, whatever you bench somebody, you put Mookie back out in the outfield, and you use uh, you know Brock Holt or Ian Kinsler at second or whatever. But um, you know. I... I think that, you know, what Alex Cora does is he puts, um, not only does he put the team in in a position to win, but he's able to identify the strengths of players and play to those strengths and if you have a unique player like Mookie Betts who has many strengths and one of his strengths is versatility I think Alex Cora could take advantage of that uh, in in the National League ballpark um, you know who knows uh, you know maybe they're up two games to, to nothing when they go out there and maybe Cora feels well you know we're, we're we're winning two games to nothing and and you know I'd rather keep a better defend uh, uh, a better defensive uh, alignment, but, um, uh, I, I would not be surprised to see Mookie starting at, at second base in uh, in Los Angeles in Game 3.
1: The, the one thing that Cora did say uh, and, and was unequivocal about is that J.D. Martinez is going to play. Sure, he, absolutely. He's going to play all oh, yeah. three games in Los Angeles, uh, and he will be in the lineup at yeah. somebody else's expense. Um, you know, And if you do this and, and you start the game this way—we spoke about this before we came on the podcast—you get into the late innings— Let's say you have the lead mm-hmm. or you start you know, changing pitchers and that spot in the lineup comes up. You have a natural defensive replacement uh, and, and moves to make in terms of shifting Mookie Betts back to right field, bringing in Ian Kinsler at second base, and having someone hit in the pitcher spot. Yeah. You, you've got a natural double switch option right. that, that that creates. Um, you don't like losing Martinez Martinez's bat in the order. Uh, You'd only like to do that if you have the lead. If you have the lead and it's late, and 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 you're not going to be sacrificing too many at bats. And the other thing you wonder about is: is do you want to make it a true double switch? Like, let's say, you know, let's say Martinez hits in the seventh for the fourth time, Mm -hmm. and the inning ends two batters after his spot. Theoretically, if you're up, let's say four to one in the game, the true double switch at that point would be you bring in a pitcher. Let's say it's Matt Barnes in the eighth inning, and he goes into the third spot in the order, which would be Martinez's spot. You bring in Kinsler into the pitcher's spot in the order, which would be nine, because theoretically he could hit in the ninth inning. Cora could choose to say, we're going to maintain some lineup continuity here. We don't necessarily want, if the bullpen melts down for some reason, or if we have a huge rally in the ninth inning or whatever. Right. You don't want Kim- like Kimbrel up there in the three spot, Well, right? we don't <laughs> want the pitcher in the middle of the order, right, so right. maybe we're just going to keep him in the nine hole. Yeah. That's another thing that they're going to have to consider, of course. But yeah. if they do this, you're going to have natural defensive replacements. It, it's going to be moves that Cora can make without really having to think. Yeah. Um, you know, even if it's a very tight, intense game, he'll just be able to sort of pull the switch and say, "All right, Kinsler go to second base, bats go to right field, JD stay in here." Mm-hmm. That's very easy. You know, that's something that you can talk about before the game. It's not exactly revolutionary, right. um, you know, but it, it certainly is a, a, a very interesting topic, and you know, it is a, a bit of a risk to take. But I, more days go by, the the more I'm able to convince myself that they probably should. Hmm. Right,
0: right. Well, we'll see. We'll see in a few more days. Uh, so uh, we, we would be remiss here if we don't uh, touch upon the opponent that the the Red Sox are going to be playing in the World Series, mm. and that is uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, historic franchise, obviously had its roots in Brooklyn, moved out to L.A. in the late 50s. Um, so unlike a lot of National League teams, the Dodgers are, you know, Legit. I mean, they've got a really good lineup. They, the the, uh, the odds makers in Vegas give the Red Sox the uh, the favorite, but not by much. They're, they're slight favorites. Sure. And if you look at the the, uh, the Dodgers lineup, you know it's not your typical slap hit, speed kind of uh, you know small ball that you think of when you think of some National League teams. You, you know, you've got seven hitters on that uh, on that uh, team who have at least twenty home runs. Um, you know you've got Cody Bellinger and you've got Jock Peterson and you've got Puig uh, and you've got Max Muncie who came over. Uh, so you you got a real you know power threat of a lineup. And then obviously when you look at the pitching staff, you have a couple of studs there. You've got Clayton Kershaw, and then you've got Walker Bueller, and they have a closer with thirty eight saves and Kenley Jansen. So um, uh, you know the Red Sox have uh, have typically done pretty well for themselves once they got to the World Series uh, as of late. Uh, you know, they, they swept the, uh, I want to say, that the 04 and 07 World Series. Correct. And in 13... Four games was, to two over Right, it was St. four Louis. games to two, so it really wasn't threatened. But, uh, you know, I... Um, I think this is a seven-game series. You know, maybe six, but I think the Dodgers are are, are a uh, worthy foe.
1: Yeah, the Dodgers are more like an American League team than, than what they faced recently. Uh, you know, I went back to, to twenty you know, 2004, 2007, and 2013 and just looked at the lineups that the Cardinals and the Rockies were right. rolling out. Uh, in particular, the Rockies in Game 1 of the 2007 World Series. Ryan Spielborgs was the DH. Who? Yeah, <laughs> a, a career sort of fourth outfielder, yeah. pinch hitter. Type right. uh, a designated hitter batting ninth in, in the American League Park. Yeah, um, against David Ortiz. So you right. you you automatically are yeah. starting off at a you huge lose disadvantage. That one. You lose ten out of ten times. Right. Um, you know if if the Dodgers in Game One elect to have say Yasiel Puig as the DH, yeah, and they put Jock Peterson in the outfield, or they have Matt Kemp as the DH uh, because Chris Sale is a left-handed pitcher, right. You have guys who have been all stars, sure, who who are going to be your designated hitter, Um, you know, and guys who have hit twenty plus, thirty plus home runs in a season, yeah. Um, So legit bats there, Uh, you know, great lineup options uh, for LA, obviously. You know, Cody Bellinger is one of the great young stars in the game. Only 22 years old, uh, potent from the left side. Manny Machado was one of the best pickups of the trade deadline. We Red know, Sox all, about him, know right? all about him. Know all about him. That's right. Um, you know, Max Muncy has been a revelation this year. A guy who was with Oakland, yep. sort of nondescript career to this point, hits 35 home runs this season. Um, you know, it's it's a deep lineup. It's an experienced team. They were in the World Series last year. They took right. the Astros all the way to Game Seven. Uh, they've won the NL West six years in a row Um, you know and they have a great manager in Dave Roberts someone who is very similar to Alex Cora in terms of demeanor his positivity um, the way he's been able to manipulate his roster throughout the year. Yep. Uh, you know, Dave Roberts, obviously, will be very comfortable in Boston. Uh, as Alex Cora said on Sunday, he's a hero in this city, uh, and should be for what he did in 2004 in the American League Championship Series against the Yankees. or sure. Greatest uh, steal in the Red Sox history. Yeah, right? as I wrote today, arguably the, the most famous stolen base in Red Sox history. Right. Um, Fortunately, they didn't have video review back then. Well, he was safe. <laughs> he was safe. You could, uh, it, was, it was close. He probably was safe. Thankfully, they made the right call on the, on the field. The field yeah. um, you know, but obviously a guy who has done a great job there. Uh, you know, in in his spot as the manager, yeah. and you know, a, a formidable team, uh, like you said, a, a worthy opponent. Um, you know, and a team that you know wouldn't surprise anybody if they were to, able to go out and win the World Series. Right, right, not at all. Uh, so it
0: should be a great World Series, a historic one, um, and it starts Tuesday night, a 2-3-2 format. So we have Tuesday and Wednesday in Boston. Thursday is the uh, the travel day. Friday, Saturday, Sunday in uh, sunny L.A., obviously Sunday if necessary. And then uh, if needed, uh, Monday's the day off. They come back Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Game seven is on Halloween, Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, wonder wonder what the temperatures will be like in uh Ooh. in uh, you know lovely Fenway Park on uh, October 31st. Well, but hey, that's 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 why they call it the Fall Classic, right?
1: Uh, let's hope that we don't have to find out, you know, but you you think back to when the Red Sox were still trying to reverse the curse. If they were playing a game 7 on Halloween, could you imagine the the headlines oh, and the man. sort of right. you know ghost references that would have been made then? Yeah. Um, we'd be looking at a hundred years right now. <laughs> this this would be the hundred year anniversary wow, of that's the curve right. nineteen eighteen to nineteen eighteen 2018, 2018 now. Right, right. If if yep. they were to play a game seven on Halloween, I mean that pretty much would have been Armageddon <laughs> right. uh, if the Red Sox hadn't won a World Series by this point. And actually, you know Los Angeles brings a pretty long drought into this thirty right. years yeah. since they've won the World Series. Yeah. You think. think. Think about the Dodgers, and you associate the great tradition with them and and obviously great history with them, but
0: it's been a long time for them. Yeah, 1988, that was the Oral Hirschheiser year, the Kirk Gibson year. Yeah. uh, And obviously, you know, great... uh, history with that franchise as well, so yeah, they've been waiting, and and as you said, they've won. Did you say six NL West six in titles in a, row, yeah. in a row? So they've they've been at the door here. They've been right uh, right there knocking. So you know, who knows if this is the year they finally get let in? I, I hope not. I, my feeling is the Red Sox figure out how to win this in a, in a long series. But uh, we will be there watching, uh, reading, and um, Bill. Next time we do this, the Red Sox will. Either be fighting for their lives, or will have been swept, or will have uh, won their, uh, I guess, fourth World Series in this uh, in this century. Yes. So I like their chances because they tend to do pretty well in the first eighteen years of any century. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very good. Very
0: good reference. Anyway, with that, we will close out this uh, World Series edition of the Twin Bills podcast. Until next time, this is Bill Corey, and with me, Bill Koch. Thanks, Bill.
1: Thanks, Bill.